This episode of Where to Begin With will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Last Night in Soho from 2021. If you've never seen the movie before and you want to take part in this series by submitting an e-review, then please hit stop on the episode right now. Go away, check the movie out, type up your review, send it in to myself and we are golden. However, if you have seen the movie before or you generally don't care about spoilers, then just keep listening. Don't say you weren't warned. Most people ever get to their dreams. They're not just dreams. Jack, I don't want to do this. You think you can just walk away? It really happened. What did you see? Do you believe in ghosts? the murder last night but you believe this was a vision from the past the guy that killed her is still out there i have to stop him where are you going i know what you did i've done a lot of things you can have to be more specific love And welcome back to another episode of Where To Begin With. This is season number four, episode number three. It is long overdue, so overdue that I have re-recorded this entire episode tonight for you. Now, there is a myriad of reasons, and I hate podcasts that that start talking like, let's peek behind the curtain and let's talk about personal stuff, so we're not going to do that. What we're going to say is, we are about two months late on this episode, and we are not going to lose a second of ground. We are going to power through and continue having fun with science fiction as as it, as it smashes against butts, hammers thrusts itself into the horror genre or horror adjacent 
Now, on the previous episode, we reviewed Primer. Um, arguably one of the greatest time travel movies ever made. Rough around the edges it is, cost next to nothing to make, and yeah, the director has turned out to be a bit of a scumbag, but guess what? That movie still kicks my ass. And we are jumping into a movie which has all the money in the world flung at it, with a director who is universally beloved, and um, with like proper A-list actors and actresses, we are doing Last Night in Soho as our third and final movie which deals with time travel. Now this one here is less time travel due to science and more time travel due to supernatural, but time travel nonetheless happens and it's done with a great deal of authenticity. And I also think reverence, I think Edgar Wright just really genuinely enjoys this time in England, or this time in the world actually, I think it's a fertile ground for him to play in, and yeah, so we're going to be doing Last Night in Seoul. At the end of this episode, after your reviews of Primer, which I think you guys sent in like three months ago or something, um, I'm going to tell you where our next three episodes are taking us, and oh by god have I picked a doozy of a category for the next three picks. But strap yourselves in and let's talk a little bit about The Last Night in Soho, which, like I said before, is directed by Edgar Wright, who co-wrote it with uh, Kirsty Wilson Cairns. And the movie, it, it really does have like a jaw-droppingly great cast of Thomas and Mackenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, Matt Smith, the late Diana Rigg. I believe this was our last movie credit. Amory Casaretti, uh, Rita Tushingham, Colin Meese. We also have in here Rebecca Harrod, Pauline McGlynn, Terence motherfucking Stamp, ladies and gents, in the house, doing what he does, and then um, some other folks in here as well. The synopsis is listed on the IMDb's as an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. The beauty of Last Night in Soho is the visual palette that Edgar Wright brings to the screen. Now, I love Edgar Wright. I'm not going to say that every movie the guy's ever done is completely in my wavelength. There's some that aren't. Um, as much as I enjoy Baby Driver, I don't think it's a movie that was necessarily made for me. Um, I actually think in a lot of ways, uh, it feels kind of like he is off doing his kind of Nicholas Winden Refn movie. However, if I look back over what the guy has done in the past, I mean, Shaun of the Dead will instantly make you a legend. If he, had he done nothing else, that you know he'd be he'd be fine. Uh, Hot Fuzz, I mean, it's it's kind of folk horror, it's kind of wicker manny, and it's also kind of rural cop story. It's, it's a ton of fun. Um, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, I I unabashedly love that movie, and I know a lot of people like hate on it. Uh, I don't get the hate. I think it is. We watched it recently with the the, the nine year old, and she absolutely loved it. But you could see 
in any interview that he's ever done, he has a real penchant for like proper grindhouse and at the same time, European horror movies of the 60s and 70s leaning towards that Italian vibe that makes me all warm fuzzy inside. Um, you know, I am a big fan of the YouTube channel Trailers From Hell. Um, it's run by Joe Dante and he gets like a, a plethora of interesting voices and talking heads to talk about movies that, well, trailers that really interested them of the time or had an impact about the movies, etc. And Edgar writes on that all the time. And what's really interesting about it is he, like, he frequently talks about Mario Bava. And as an extension of that, if you've tracked down interviews from him, Dario Argento. And that palette is all over this movie. Um, right from the beginning, right through, there's a real kind of feel of that giallo style of, um, of lighting. On top of that as well, and I know I said in the previous episode, it's a giallo, but it's not a giallo. Technically not a giallo, right? So we can get that out of the way. But when I see it is um, influenced by giallo movies, it kind of it kind of follows the the idea of someone coming to a big city that they're not from and witnessing a murder. Uh, through one shape or form and then trying to unpick it as the movie kind of unravels with an ultimate twist being that they missed a detail or, or, or something along those lines. And it doesn't tick all those boxes but it is in there with a couple of really, really, really cool elements that that I think make it... The, the same way that... Um, that last uh, like James Wan movie, uh, you know, not not the superhero one, but the the one that he did was that was also a giallo, which name escapes me, and it's in my collection, and I can almost reach it, but I'd have to walk away from the microphone, and you guys are shouting at it right now, directly into whatever device that you have in front of you, and you're like, Duncan, is this movie? And I'm like, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And that's what you call padding for time, ladies and gents, as I swing my way down and get Malignant as the title of the movie. Malignant is another movie which is, isn't a giallo, it actually came out the same year as well, isn't a giallo really at all, but does kind of swim in those territories of playing with the themes and tropes, and this movie does it. But it's actually more akin to uh, a movie like Stir of Echoes, or even a movie like uh, What Lies Beneath, with the idea of someone being present in a place where the, the aura, the spectre of death looms over and through flashbacks, which are usually ghostly apparitions, but in this one, she's actually living the life of, um, you get to see what happens and you have to unpack the mystery as the, the audience. Um, I mean, this is a beautiful looking movie and the, the recreations of uh, London of the time is just jaw-dropping. I mean, the, the amount of attention to detail is, is kind of phenomenal. Um, down to, uh, you know, movie posters, signs, bars, clubs, uh, venues, names, places, etc. Edgar Wright's really, he's knocked it out of the park. Um, but a movie like this lives or dies on its performance and you have some like absolutely 
incredible performances in here. Um, Thomas and Mackenzie as uh, Eloise, the, the, the kind of leading character in here, the one that will, in her dreams, become Sandy, played by Anya Taylor-Joy, is fucking incredible. She's a great actress already and she's done a lot of good things, but in this movie I think she shines like a, a freshly polished penny. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, I mean, has just continued to be an absolute delight of, as an actress and she's playing arguably the most interesting role of the movie in that she is essentially three characters. She's naive, she's bullshit, and then she's also vulnerable. Uh, Matt Smith uh, is perfectly cast in this one as a character who, when you first meet, meet him, think he seems quite nice, and then by the end of the movie you think he's a dick, and then the movie twists and turns in a way where you then maybe see what the comeuppance is. And then Diana Rigg, who you could sleep on in this movie as being important, turns out to be one of the most important characters in a really interesting arc. Uh, yes, the, the climax in the movie is a little bit over the top, it's a little bit ham-fisted, but you know what, I think the movie merits it. It's got a wickedly great pace, almost two hours long, this movie never feels its length, it kind of it flips and flows right through. Uh, like I mentioned before, it has some beautiful cinematography and an, an incredible camera angles, there's, there's moments that owe a little bit to, to things like Psycho, to elements of even things like Repulsion or Rosemary's Baby in terms of the way the camera works. It is really, really, really well done. The script is wicked tight and super sharp. And yeah, just powerhouse performances throughout. Now, I'm not going to give you what the reveal is in this movie, but I enjoyed it, even though I kind of called it. Um, I remember seeing it in the cinema and being like, all right, I think this is what's going to happen. And it, it did kind of the way, not fully... Uh, I picked the killer, but maybe not the setup to the reveal of the killer. But I never, for one second, ruined my enjoyment of it at all. If anything, I, I found myself even more drawn in. And on repeat viewings, of which there's been about two or three now, um, I think I enjoy this movie more each time I watch it. I think you could argue, from a serious point of view, in serious movies, not comedies, uh, Last Night in Soho is Edgar Wright's best movie to date. Um, it's brilliant. I, I, I genuinely can't wait to hear what you guys made of it. And it's a recent title as well. We don't usually go as recent in our movie reviews. So I'm interested to hear if you guys checked it out, what you thought of it. And um, swing back in. And we're going to be a little bit aggressive in our timescales for reviews on this one to make up some lost time. So you're still going to get the three weeks. But what that means is your reviews need to be into me no later than Friday the 7th of July. That's Friday the 7th of July. Um, the episode will drop on the 9th and then we will do another episode to run to completion in July as well at the end of the month, which will bring us back on track. So yeah, I need your thoughts, your opinions, your review, ladies and gents, for Last Night in Soho from 2021. I need it into me no later than Friday the 7th of July. July. That is the ball in your court. Take it, run with it, and I look forward to hearing what you thought of the movie. Okay, okay, okay. Let's get to the most important thing on these episodes. I know what you're thinking, Duncan, it is about effing time, and you're right, it is about effing time. So let's do this, shall we? This is your reviews, ladies and gents, of Primer. Up first is our good buddy, Tim Walker. Tim, I feel like 
I have not spoken to you in ages. Um, I don't even know if you're still on Facebook. I, I'm not seeing a post to yours in ages, uh, but then I'm kind of off Facebook. Um, but you did send in a movie review, and that did make me very happy. You've said, Dear Duncan and T. Putts Collective Folk, well, Duncan, you picked a pure hard sci-fi film for this one. Primer is one I've been wanting to see for a while now. I think I first heard of it in the early 2010s from a now-defunct horror podcast called Slashercast, even though they covered horror in general and not specifically slasher films. One of the hosts on the show was big into sci-fi and obviously sci-fi horror, and it brought up this film from time to time as a film that does sci-fi right. He definitely brought up the low budget and used it as an example to make a good sci-fi film on a low budget which can translate to other genres and well. In other words, he was saying, if you've got good ideas, you don't need a ton of money. Was he right about this one though? Obviously this was a first time watch and I really wish I knew the answer. I was totally lost during the entire film. It's not uncommon for a mind-bending film to confuse me here and there. Some scenes or ideas I just don't get, but this movie, I was in a constant state of total confusion. Maybe more importantly than being confusing, the movie to me was fairly boring and I didn't connect or care about the characters. They were just dull. It was like watching faceless yuppies using science jargon and I didn't understand at all for over an hour. Yes, the movie is short, not much more than an hour, but if you give me not much for that hour, then you don't have much of a movie. The ideas should have been intriguing, and I do like science and science fiction, even hard sci-fi. This movie should work on paper for me, and it didn't. Mind you, repeat watches might help. Scrolling through the reviews on Letterboxd, I saw that I am not alone in being kind of lost with this film. A whole lot of people just don't get it. Not just me. Maybe more views will change it, at least in terms of liking it. There are plenty of movies that I don't get or get aspects of, but I like or even love them. A movie can be a fun puzzle to try and solve, and as often that is the case, Triangle is a pretty good example of that, actually. Beyond the Black Rainbow is definitely a jigsaw puzzle. I still haven't quite figured out that one, and I absolutely love that movie. Not this one, at least not yet. I still give a neutral rating, though, got to admit, it might not be the movie's fault that I don't get it, so it's two and a half stars out of five. Maybe I just wasn't on the wavelength with this viewing, and maybe on another day it'll fare better. Sorry Duncan, it was a good try, a movie with its heart in the right place and some interesting ideas, but not for me, at least not yet. I suspect the next movie will be more of a favourite, but we will see. Until then, I say to my Teapots Collective people, take care, stay safe and keep playing around in your garage. You never know what might happen. Tim. Thank you very much, Tim. I'm super curious to hear your thoughts on a little movie called Last Night in Soho. That could be fun. Uh, right, our second and final review of this episode is, of course, from our stalwart friend, Mr. David Garrett Jr. And David says... Hello, Duncan and T. Puts Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here once again for, I believe, what we're kind of deeming this is... Where to begin with time travel horror movies? So, for this month, is quite an interesting one here in Primer. It's an odd little film that I don't know a whole lot about. I did hear about it when I was getting into podcasts, though. 
It's not one that you hear covered a lot. I do know when time travel stuff comes up, this one gets brought up a lot. And I was reading a little bit of trivia that some people consider this to be like the best one ever made. I think a lot of that was just how close scientifically it is to being accurate. So Duncan, I'm glad that you selected this as one here to kind of cover and everything so I could tick it off my list and you'll see what it's all about. So for the most part, we're following Aaron, who is Shane Carruth, who also wrote and directed this, as well as his buddy Abe, who is Dave Sullivan. Now, they seem to have a small company that they run along with Robert, who is portrayed by Casey Gooden, and Philip, portrayed by Anad Upadayaha, if that's how you pronounce it, might not be. I'm not entirely sure what they do, but there is an experiment that they're using with equipment that's being kept in the garage. Now, Aaron and Abe are doing something separately, and we see that it involves time travel as, you know, kind of everything that's been alluded to so far. So, I'm not going to be able to break the science down much further than what I've already kind of given here, as what I can say is that what they have creates a time loop. This duo is able to go back into time, and they must avoid encountering their doubles, as they're not really sure what type of paradoxes might come from it. They're not supposed to bring their cell phones, but we see that Aaron gets sloppy. The plan they come up with is to do this by having your know, successful same-day stock trades. Since they have foreknowledge of what the market's performance is going to be, the experiment they're doing is six hours in length, and they're doing this over multiple days. Now, this becomes more complicated than they're expecting, though. Distrust grows as this box that they're using is stored in a storage unit, and it could be have some time-altering consequences. There is a third box that is considered the fail-safe, but both individuals aren't sharing all the information with each other. What they're doing is also taxing on them as they're living out, I believe they said like 36-hour days, and they aren't even necessarily sure which version of each other they're communicating with. Now, with what I've already said there, this is impressive. I felt like I needed to do an extended recap to get things straight. So this is carried by our two leads who are much different people. Abe is cautious and controlling. That, you know, it's fair, especially with the ramifications of what they're doing here. If you're not, it could, I mean, be almost world ending. He doesn't know the repercussions of what they're doing, so he's trying to maintain an almost scientific method way of handling this. On the other side, we have Aaron, who is more impulsive. With this power, he gets almost God complex that causes things to spiral, and I think both performances here are perfect for what is needed. What is also impressive is that they only had a budget of like $7,000. I can tell that what we see is limited. This gives an almost sense of realism that if you know time travel was real like i like how it's not so grand since these guys kind of just stumbled upon it things are hidden but i don't know if we necessarily need to see them either the care that was taken to explain what they can do is enough to hold my interest as i tried to piece things together there are things that i still don't get and i'm not sure if that movie you know it's the fault of the movie or if that's just kind of my own thing or if it's not necessarily needed this one is definitely one that I'll need to come back to, though, to see what I missed. So this is just well-made for me, regardless of the budget. There's an amateur feel to the cinematography, and I think that adds something. It isn't found footage, but it feels like we are the camera watching in on what is happening. This is an independent movie that just worked for me, and I'm guessing part of this could be the subject matter just fascinates me in general. So, once again, thank you, Duncan, for selecting this movie so I could take it off my list. And my rating here for Primer is going to be a 4 out of 5 after this first viewing. 
And Duncan, I'm definitely glad that you selected Last Night in Soho as the next movie that is going to be covered as I saw this one once in the theater, loved it, and have been excited to give this one a rewatch as, I mean, I might even try to see if wife will rewatch it with me. So don't think there's anything else I need to say here for this one. Thank you so much for doing these as always. Can't wait to hear everybody else's thoughts on Primer. This is David Garrett Jr. and I am signing off. And thanks very much to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in his review of Primer. Right, so we are changing up tact. We are leaving our thoughts of time travel for something else science fiction related that smashes abuts the old horror genre. And instead, for the next three movies, I've deemed this one what science has wrought to destroy the world. So these movies are about science fiction inventions, creations, mishaps, and their impact that could destroy the world. So, I know what you're thinking. What movies would fall into that? Well, a good example could be something like The Movie Host by uh, Bong Joon-ho. There's a movie that deals with uh, chemicals being poured into water and that chemicals, you know, being taken on by an animal which then becomes a monster. So, science created it dumped it in the river, look at the effect it's having, this creature will kill us all. That's that's the sort of aim I'm going with. And I'm hitting out the gate with an obvious but fucking heavy hitter. Um, we're going to 28 days later. That's right, the Danny Boyle classic from all the way back in 2002. It's, uh, it's a movie I dare say everyone has seen, but... You know, and this one is all about being infected with rage. So the animals are testing um, on on chimpanzees. This uh, nothing but incredibly dark subject matter which infects them with rage. And then activists let them out. And then, well, you know where we go from there. So 28 Days Later is the next movie we'll be covering on Where to Begin With. As part of three movies looking at scientific advancements, quote-unquote, in horror movies, which then have the negative effect of pretty much destroying the world. So just a very quick reminder before we jump out on this episode, you need to get your reviews in of Last Night in Soho, no later to me than Friday the 7th of July. Episode will drop on Sunday the 9th and then we're back on track. Ladies and gents, thank you very much for checking this episode out. Thank you for bearing with us. This is Duncan McLeish for Where to Begin With and I will speak to you next time. <laughs>